Second Corinthians chapter 12, and our series is called Stay in the Fight, and tonight we're talking about the topics of goodness and grace, and last week we looked at the beginning of this chapter, we saw where uh, Paul, um, who uses himself as an illustration, and he talks about this experience that he had where he was taken up to paradise. And he gives us a little glimpse of that. Actually, he doesn't describe it because he says the words were not something he was permitted to, to, to tell us. And uh, that was as we look at that. But Paul uses that, again, um, more or less to show his, the fact that God had shown him his glory. And he had seen those things. And then tonight we're going to look at goodness and we're going to look at grace. Um, the beginning of that part and down to verse 10. We're not going to go too far. And then we'll cover the rest probably at another time. We'll pick it up here in verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure, the abundance of the revelations, uh, by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Lord, we thank you for your word. And as we open it again tonight, I pray you would teach us as only you can. We thank you, Lord, that you are the one that has given us your grace. And tonight, Lord, we, we need your grace. With every moment of our, of our being, we need that grace. And Lord, we pray even tonight as we, again, study the Bible, you'd uh, certainly give it and put it deep into our hearts and help us to walk in these days as people of righteousness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul talks, he goes from the section about talking about glory and he goes into this uh, section talking about suffering. And there's a lot that has come out of the topic of suffering as we look at it through Scripture. And I can say this, that um, there are some Christians, some believers, who are certainly more acquainted with suffering than others. Uh, I don't feel I'm somebody that has suffered greatly in my life. I've had moments of suffering. I've had times. I've had things, and we all have trials. But as I look around and I see others that go through some great losses and great trials and some that last years and years and some all the way through to the end of their life, um, I, I just have to say, Lord, they are my example and I, I, my time might come to that, you know. And I don't look for that. I don't wake up wanting suffering. But honestly, things happen, don't they? And we, in some measure in this world, will, for, will have some kind of suffering that goes on in our lives. And Paul talks about that, and, and again, some of us would, would argue, or some people would argue, where does suffering come from, and why is it there, um, and who, who came up with suffering, and, and did God do that, or did man do that, or sin, and I would just say what the Bible teaches us is that suffering comes out of the results of a sin-cursed world, and our sinful bodies, um, and just the taint of original sin on us. And we have suffering. Our bodies will eventually physically suffer. Our, our, our world we live in 
always is trying to force us into its mold and we we suffer spiritually uh, we suffer emotionally we have all of those areas of the body and the soul the spirit that form that area of suffering and we're not alone in it we're not alone because the lord himself suffered and in through his suffering of course we are brought into glory and we're brought into grace and we have that experience and honestly though i may not be able to identify with all suffering christ can and i'm thankful for that and i stand um, for that now there are various reasons suffering comes um, for instance in scripture you see where suffering comes sometimes as a result of direct result of sin in someone's life david was a good example of that uh, not a good in the sense of being good but it was his example is one that's clear for us and david himself suffered throughout his life because of sin that he like for instance the sin of adultery and the sin of murder uh, and that brought about a suffering on his life for the remainder of his days uh, some days were worse than others in that time where he was um, before he repented and as he repents he pours his heart out in the psalms and particular psalm 51 read down through that whole psalm and it's a psalm of repentance and david speaks of his suffering because of his sin and that is one reason why sometimes we suffer it says make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice david recognized the trials and troubles and suffering he was in were a direct result of the discipline of god upon his life and i think that's a mature you know for a mature attitude to have when we realize that and it leads us hopefully to repentance and that's what god wants um, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities then he says create in me a clean heart O god and renew a steadfast spirit within me you can sense david's prayer and that's certainly a great prayer to go to with ourselves um, when we need to repent which should be just about all the time right in a daily activity as we walk with the lord in that well uh suffering comes sometimes as a direct result of our sin um, hebrews chapter 12 talks about that i won't go to that passage but we know that chastisement shows that we indeed are not illegitimate sons we are indeed true children of god because a loving father disciplines his child and if you um, are going to sin you can welcome really not necessarily wanting it but you can know that suffering will come eventually romans chapter 5 also explains to us that suffering is god's tool for building godly character in our lives and i wish it was somehow he could do it a little differently but so often that is how he builds godly character in our lives and he says therefore having been justified by faith we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of god and not only that but we also glory in tribulations and i find it interesting that paul in his writing in in second corinthians 12 here he goes from glory to suffering and one he was not able to speak words to 
And the second part, though, which are as an earthly experience, he was able to speak words to that. And God breathed out his word through him. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given, uh, who was given to us. And the idea here is, again, that without the suffering and the, the trials of life, we aren't actually going to produce that fruit in our lives of perseverance. That's the way we get through things, right? The patient enduring and the hope that is produced in the heart that this life is not the end. Sometimes if we make things really too comfortable for us down here, I'm all for trying to live, you know, comfortably. I I don't go out and say, well, how can I make myself suffer today? But, you know, when you do have things stripped away from you and you don't have the comforts of life and you think about the generations of people around us in the world and also in our own ancestry of the people who just suffered and suffered and suffered through life, their life was miserable on this earth. In that way, if that was all they hoped for. But for the believer, it produces a hope beyond this world. And that's really what we need. And that only comes through suffering. And it's amazing what God can do. Uh, Warren Wiersbe talks about it as uh, God's ability to polish the the rocks. You know, Um, I think of when I was a kid and I grew up on the lake in in St. Freud there. And uh, we would walk along the beach and there you get the gravel it's always churning up the ice every year churns things up and and that and you could take and find little pieces of broken glass that were just now all smooth and they look like gems right really it's just glass probably from somebody's beer bottle that was thrown down there broken and and washed ashore and those kind of things but it's amazing over just a a few years because uh you know those were probably all less than 100 years old that glass that was there and it would, you'd find it all smoothed over. What once was broken and sharp and could cut your foot was now something nice and smooth. And I think that's really the way God works in us through suffering. He takes us and he tumbles us around, allows this life to polish us off a bit, to produce something of beauty in our life that's, that's no longer sharp and just cutting. And he, he's able to do that, isn't he? I'm thankful for that. Well... Paul talks about a thorn in the flesh and this, this sharp thing that was in his life. That's what he talks about. And in uh, Galatians chapter 6, in verse 11, it says this, See with what large letters I have written to you with mine own hand. Now some think that the uh, thorn in the flesh that he mentions there in verse 7 was maybe his bad eyesight, and that could be, although he may have had multiple things. It could be something that plagued him, you know, that was 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 far worse than just poor eyesight. And uh, I know that as our eyes go, that's always something that's an inconvenience and those kind of things. But here, Paul, as he as he writes, uh, he doesn't tell us exactly what that thorn in the flesh was. It probably the Holy Spirit didn't allow him to. to put that there just simply so we could identify more readily with it um, all of us have had those kind of things it's sometimes it's not something even within our own flesh although that's what he said you know it's in his flesh in the body but it may be something outside of us that is continually you know uh, 
while continually painting us in that. Ultimately, Satan is the one who brought about evil into this world. That's what the Bible says anyways. It, it originates with, with Satan. And if you want to argue from the perspective that God created evil because he created Satan, you're, you're arguing outside of the confines of what Scripture reveals. That's important because uh, I think contrary to that, the Bible declares that God did not create sin. But you could say safely this, he created angels and man with a will because he wanted agents that were free and that could choose even in a perfect world, in a sinless world. And he did that. And I, the Bible verses that talk about um, you know, the fact that, for instance, like Peter, one of the apostles, obviously he writes this of Jesus, who committed no sin, nor was, was deceit found in his mouth. He, he did no sin. Uh, sin did not come from Christ, according to Peter. From John, another apostle, He says this, And you know that he, the Lord Jesus, was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there there is no sin. So again, no sin in the Lord in that. And then Paul, in 2 Corinthians 5, says it this way, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And I think based just on those three verses, you can say this, that, uh, sin did not originate with God. Uh, the idea, certainly he knew sin. He is still sovereign in a sin-cursed world. I think the, the sovereignty of God is seen in this, that he's able to allow us to exercise our wills, and angels also that did that and fell, including Lucifer, and yet it doesn't thwart his plan. He's sovereign to even take the evil things and bring good out of them, right? All things work together for good. Uh, Jim Carter reminded us of that the other day. Uh, Paul says he prayed, and he prayed three times that this thing be removed from him. And uh, I think it's interesting that Paul would say he prayed three times. Um, I think the Lord answered him after the third time. It wasn't something he continued to pray for. I don't think that's the model only that we only pray three times. However, it is what the Lord did in the Garden of Gethsemane, the very place where he was pressed. Remember, he he prays three times. He sets his disciples there. He goes off a little ways, and he returns to them, and they were sleeping. And he comes, and he, while he was praying, I, actually it's Mark chapter 14. Look what it says this. Mark fourteen thirty two. Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, the, the olive press, the place of the olive press. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. And here's Christ, his impending death is, is right on the horizon, right? And he knows that. And this is important as we look at that prayer because Jesus identifies with us being in the flesh and he was afraid of death. It wasn't afraid as a sinful kind of fear, but his, his death was coming and he was distressed about that. He understood the suffering that would be involved in a crucifixion. And it's one thing to analyze that from a distance and it's another thing to actually feel it. And you know, I think of that because I've seen people die and go through the process of death 
And, uh, you know, it's always sad. But when I think of that, I, I think, you know, I can look at somebody dying and sort of understand maybe what they're feeling and going through. But I myself haven't gone that route yet. My time will come, right? Barring rapture, that would be better. But listen, you know, Jesus has tasted death for every man. He began to be troubled and deeply distressed. I'll tell you, you could preach a message just on that. The, the Lord who was deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful. Even to death, stay here and watch. And he went a little further and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Jesus prays, "Is Lord, is it, you know, Father, is it possible that this could pass without this root? He wasn't doing it, though, according to his will, but to the Father's will. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, uh, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and play, pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went, went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time. So he's now three times gone and prayed, assumingly about the same thing, this cup of suffering that was in front of him. And said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. And you know, I've often thought of that. If, if Jesus was not did not forfeit the cup of suffering. Um, who are we not to also sometimes go through things like that? Now, we may not go through, uh, hopefully, what Jesus suffered, but even if we did face a cross or a horrendous death like a crucifixion, we know one who has. And he's come out victorious on the other side of that, hasn't he? He pleaded with the Lord, Paul said, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Now, there's a lot that could be said about this passage here because we have an apostle who has a thorn in the flesh. And I would just say this that as an apostle, he would have been given, uh, in some measure, the, the, the gifting of some of the sign gifts, which included healings, um, would have included. Uh, Maybe you know, again, we know direct revelation from God, uh, prophesying, uh, those kind of things. But even the apostle did not have um, the ability to heal all things, and he did not have, nor nor anybody, by the way. And again, it wasn't the man that was going to produce healing, and Paul didn't. And I think here is a theology of suffering from the apostle Paul. In that, in many cases, it is, it is God's will that someone be suffering. And so that doesn't sound very nice, but it's God's will because why? It's producing a greater a hope, a reliance on his grace, a reliance on him, a perseverance. And it often directs others to that same Lord, right? As they go through that suffering. 
the modern day faith healers often will go to passages in the Old Testament and they will borrow some of the blessings of Israel and try to put them onto the church and onto individuals and those things. And you remember the covenant that God made with Israel included blessings attached to the land, attached to their prosperity, attached to the fruitfulness of their crops, and also to their health. Um, But that does not carry into the New Testament with believers in the church. Uh, Jesus, contrary to that, said that you'll go out as as sheep among wolves. That that is not a picture of great prosperity. That's a picture of danger. It's a picture of a a hostile world. And Deuteronomy chapter 7, the Lord said this to Israel, Then it shall come to pass, because you listen to these judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the mercy which he swore to your fathers. And he will love you and bless you and multiply you. And he will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land and your grain, your new wine, your oil, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flock in the land of which he swore to your fathers to give you. And you shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be a male or female barren among you or among your livestock. And the Lord will take away from you all sickness And will afflict you with none of the terrible diseases of Egypt which you have known, but will lay them on all those who hate you. Wow. Now, there are preachers that live today that say that should be the will of your life. That if you follow the Lord and you have enough faith, you won't be sick. You'll have the latest and greatest whatever. You'll have no need for money because you'll just be so blessed. You'll be giving it all away to them. That's usually what it is. And you see that message and that health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, as it's called. It's a false gospel. And that is contrary to what the Bible teaches in the area of suffering in the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, too, the Jews went through great suffering. Sometimes individuals went through suffering because a nation sinned. Right? Think of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a righteous man, a righteous prophet, and he suffered along with his people in a terrible time when he was being, they were being besieged by the Babylonians and, and all the things that were happening. The righteous will suffer with a sin-cursed world, even in the Old Testament, all right, in among the nation of Israel. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul wrote this. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. And since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Here Epaphroditus Um, a co-worker of Paul is near unto death from some sickness and Paul doesn't indicate that it's because he was he was a sinning you know he was sinning no he was sick from some disease in the world that we live in that's what happens and by the way it doesn't appear that Paul was able to heal him whatever it was was something that God mercifully intervened and raised him back up lest Paul says I should have sorrow upon sorrow and Again, you would think if there was this, if God was obligated to heal people because of someone's faith, that's what faith healers teach, that you should be able to be healed if your faith is strong enough, or if 
that you go to a certain person that claims they're a faith healer and you aren't healed well you know and it, it, just because your faith isn't strong enough and all that no it listen the bible over and over again shows those things we know from the gospel accounts the same thing you, times when like when the disciples asked remember who sinned this man or his parents and he said neither this is for the glory of god right it is to exalt him and sometimes sin just or in the curse of sin is there to show his great grace in the midst of things and that's where this leads to this next part grace in that god helped him helped the apostle Verse 9, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We see here where Paul uh, talks about this, what we call sufficient grace. And that's what it is. It's God's ability to give us something that we don't deserve, right? And he is able to do that. And some of those, as the acronym grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. If you take that that acronym, you know, G-R-A-C-E, often the sufficiency of his grace is only demonstrated through suffering that's it otherwise we we don't see it we don't need it the christian life and i'm warren wearsby said this in the christian life we get many of our blessings through transformation not substitution we get them from transformation, not substitution. When Paul prayed and said, Lord, I have this thorn in the flesh, take it from me. He was asking for a substitution. He was asking for something to, to come and replace that with health, for example. God says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. And he transformed the apostle. He transforms us. And that's what we need so often. Instead of give me health instead of sickness right deliverance instead of pain and weakness sometimes god just transforms us and he says my grace is now sufficient for you and you understand that right it's a gift from god paul accepted his affliction as a gift from god and i think that's part that that all of us would struggle with in a time of suffering and i know some of you have had terrible times of suffering in your life and when you say you know can you answer this therefore i take pleasure in infirmities how do you do that? How can you take pleasure in something that brings you pain and weakness? And yet, he says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. I have discovered, um, and I, I discovered all the time, in my 50s now, I, I'm sort of in that, you know, somewhere middle-aged, maybe. I don't know. I'm on the other side of the middle, I'm, I think. Um, and I would say this, that... What I used to be able to do when I was in my 20s and 30s and even 40s, I, I can't do now without ramifications, right? Yesterday, I, I moved a bunch of truck tires, a whole bunch of truck tires that were in storage up in Fort Kent, and um, there were probably 30 of them or so, and I just had to stack them. I was out there working, and I said, I got to clean this up, and I stacked them and all that, and I got home last night, and I thought, why do I ache all over, and where's the Tylenol, you know? 
Because when I was younger, I could just do that. I wouldn't even think about it. Now my wife says, well, she reminded me. But so did the pain. And thankfully, it's nothing. You know, really, just a little soreness. But isn't it interesting that that happens, right? That we can do that. When I was at New Brunswick Bible Institute, we would had a softball team uh, that I managed, and I played on the team as well. And I think every year I injured myself somewhere, like just doing it because I'm oh, I'm really into it, you know. And I would rip something, you know, uh, whether it was a, a couple times I shredded my ankle doing that. And uh, and I look back and I think, yeah, you know, I was in my early 40s then. I thought, yep, that's you know, just you think you're still a teenager. You still you still think you're in your 20s, but you're not. But when we're weak, we're strong. Because there are some areas of my life now that I realize I need God more and the reliance on him more because I can't rely on myself. And I just say this, Lord, thank you for that. Thank you that you remind us so casually sometimes that, hey, you're not young anymore. You better be ready for the next step. You better be ready for for glory. And that knocks at our door sometimes. I, I really believe in our in our world here where we eliminate so much of pain in through modern medicine and those kind of things. We, in may, many ways, probably sell ourselves short because we, as I'm saying, we as a people don't prepare for the more important, which is heaven. And people sadly come to the end of their life and realize, wow, I need to make plans here, and they don't know how. Second Corinthians 3, this is the kind of grace that he talks about. Um, and we have such trust through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. You know what Paul says there? He says that his grace is sufficient for our work of the ministry, of being a Christian. I'm thankful he's like that. Um, here's another one. Chapter 9, we were just here not too, too long ago. God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. And again, we see his, uh, his grace that is sufficient in that, uh, through the work. And then in this one, it's his grace for physical things, right? He had a thorn in the flesh. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And we, we see that kind of grace that is there. There is the and uh, there are this idea of grace and the Lord, you know, our God go hand in hand. You can't get away from it. Uh, throughout Scripture, we have in First Peter five ten, when he says this, but may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. And I like what he puts there. After you have suffered a while, 
perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Those latter categories of attributes produced in our life to complete or perfect, right? To establish, to strengthen, to settle, come through suffering. Thankfully, it's not forever. It's but a little while. That's really what he's saying there. And he produces something for his eternal glory. Suffering also drives us to the throne of grace, doesn't it? We have the apostle praying about this need, and he would go before the Lord. Hebrews 4.16, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And that's something, when you think about that, because it's in the time of need that we often pray. If we don't have a need, or don't perceive that we have a need, then we don't pray. I mean, that's just human nature. When we have a need, right? Well, really the... The open secret for that is to go before him with all our needs and to recognize those things in thanksgiving. We also have his word of grace. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. His word of grace. We have the Bible. And if we need more grace, he gives that too. Right? James chapter 4, verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Sometimes we have to be humbled uh, by some physical infirmity. That's what happened to the apostle, right? Um, He, in many ways, instead of bragging about heaven, instead boasted in his infirmities. What a humble attitude to come come to that. His grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. Paul's, through Paul's experience, uh, we learn several practical lessons. And I've got these lists. And this came from, again, from Warren Wearsby's commentary on this section. Number one, uh, the spiritual is far more important to the dedicated believer than the physical. So the spiritual is more important than the physical. I started thinking about that today, and I think how much of my daily routine centers around the physical, and how much of my daily routine routine centers around the spiritual. When uh, you end up in a situation where you can no longer, you know, exercise your physical being very well, you have to become more reliant on the spiritual. Uh, I think of Amy Carmichael, missionary to India. And she was a fiery Irish woman. That's what the way she was described, full of energy, going here and there. And she was known as a mother to, to hundreds of, of girls there that she had rescued and, and raised and had reached many people for Christ in that. And it was in, uh, I think she was almost age 60, somewhere in that range. Uh, I don't remember the exact uh, timing of it. And she was riding a horse coming back from uh, visiting somewhere. And she was coming back and she fell, along with the horse, into a pit that someone had dug. And she was injured. She broke her back. And the last 20 years of her life, she was basically bedridden. And much about the life of Amy Carmichael, and including the hymns that she wrote and the, 
the writings that she had that sustained many to go and go to the missionary mission field because it spurred them on. Much of that was done in that last 20 years where she couldn't go very much physically and she was bedridden. And, and that's the part that you, no one welcomes. You don't want to spend the last 20 years of your life bedridden, but that's what happened. The spiritual is more important than the physical. Number two, God knows how to balance burdens and blessings, suffering and glory. God knows how to balance burdens and blessings, suffering and glory. Right? He knows that. And I'm thankful God knows what we need, when we need it, and not before and not, not later. He, he knows what we need. And he balances the burdens with the blessings. Uh, how many people through a trial have come out the other side and seen the blessings of God in such ways that never would have been that way. Uh, I watched Leanne, Pet- Leanne Petcow, um, friends of ours, their daughter, Linnea, had died a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago in a skiing accident. And uh, I saw Leanne put out a video today and she's just talking about spring and she's talking about how much she misses her daughter. And... Um, how she would just welcome to have those, the sound of her, her footsteps coming through. I guess Lene and her husband lived in an apartment below where her parents lived, and they saw her all the time, and she was coming and going, and, and now those feet are silent in her mom's world. But she just said this in a little video, you know, God, I, I don't, I, I rejoice to know that she's in the presence of God, and she was reminded that everywhere her daughter went, she would tell people, do you know my Jesus? Do you know my Jesus? And those are the blessings that you cling to in the time of suffering. And I've been blessed to, to watch some of those things and partake in a very small way some of those hurts. Number three, not all sickness is caused by sin. That's another takeaway from this. There's no indication that Paul had to repent. God told him, my grace is sufficient. It wasn't a chastisement that Paul was going through to have a thorn in the flesh. It was, it was the fact that God was being glorified and he was using it to humble Paul. The book of Job is a beautiful example of that where Job, he, there was no open sin in his life. And I, I didn't say he wasn't a sinner, but right God is the one who says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him. He fears God and he shuns evil. He's righteous. He's praying for his, in the daily activity of offering up a sacrifice for his children because they might sin against him in their heart. He was concerned for the heart of his children. He was concerned for those. Job was doing everything right and this awful, terrible thing comes in his life. I mean, more than just one. But it just, total life is destroyed. And in the end, it's for the glory of God. And God restores, doesn't he? Fourth thing. There is something worse than sickness. And that is sin. And the worst sin of all is pride. You think of having someone, you know, go through life without suffering and without that. But if they have a proud heart. And they never bow before the Lord and say, Lord, I need you, need you for my for forgiveness. And that's that's a great sin. 
That's ultimately the sin that cast Lucifer from the presence of God. And a third of the angels of heaven went with him. The sin of pride. A healthy person rebelling against God is worse and in worse shape than a suffering person who is submitting to God. Number five, physical affliction need not be a barrier to effective Christian service. Physical affliction need not be a barrier to effective Christian service. And I had just used the illustration of Amy Carmichael. She was a very effective letter writer and hymn writer and wrote her biography and a few other things that she did. I mean, we're talking not just a few, hundreds of poems and things like that that were contained and that came out of her suffering. And it was through that testimony of Amy Carmichael in her weak years that many missionaries went from that to go to India and other places around the world. Effective Christian service. Number six, we can always rest in God's word. We can always rest in God's word. God's word's right. It's grace. It gives us grace. And what I have found in the times that I've faced a trial or other things is that when you get back into the scriptures, his grace is given to us really as he promises in the book, right? And he's able to do that. So those are just six things that come out of this uh, passage. Um, The spiritual is more important than the physical. God knows how to balance burdens and blessings. Not all sickness is caused by sin. There's something worse than sickness, and that's pride and sin, right? And then physical affliction need not be a barrier to effective Christian service, and then we can always rest in God's word. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I, would, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in the infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 